Hello and welcome into the Gotta Be Saints podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Gotta. Join me each week as I speak with future saints about being saints. Today's podcast is titled Discovering Freedom Through Forgiveness. I have with me today Octavio Cesar Martinez. Octavio, how are you? Hey, I'm really well. Thanks for having me on your show, sir. Oh, thank you for being here. It's a joy to have you. So, as always, I want to quickly shout out our sponsors. That's the Catholic Company and Good Catholic. You guys know them so well if you've been listening. So, uh, I'll plug them a little bit later on as well, but just thankful for their support of the podcast. As I said, today's podcast is titled Discovering Freedom Through Forgiveness. So, as you guys know who listen to the podcast frequently, a goal here is always the same. We want you, the listener, to be thinking about how can I be a saint? And so I bring on future saints to talk about being saints. And so <laughs> I am thankful to have you on today, Octavio, to share your story. Um, you've written a book that kind of details your your life and your story, and I'll let you kind of share a little bit about that. But uh, Rose there, um, if you can hear me. If you want. We can just dive in. Uh, you're you're free to give a, okay. a quick intro, introduction if you'd like. I think that's always helpful. But I know that um, within within our conversation, you're going to be sharing a lot about yourself as well. Sure. Yeah, which happens to be my favorite topic. So it worked out that I have this opportunity <laughs> to do that. <laughs> uh, I, I was raised Catholic. I was an altar server, and I considered the priesthood. In fact, uh, there was a exploratory weekend that uh, I went on, and it was actually at the seminary that I had this very uh, powerful experience, and it was not negative. It was it was nothing inappropriate or, or something awful. It was, it was just an awareness of how incredibly sinful I was uh, as an 11-year-old boy, and I thought, I will never make it. But those two days and those times of serving as a as an altar boy was probably some of my best memories as a child. I loved it. I loved religious life. The little that I was exposed to it, I really loved it. I loved all the holistic aspects of our of our beautiful church. So I I actually stopped going to, to church and I don't recall why my parents let that kind of happen, but I wandered a bit and um briefly flirted with Jehovah's Witnesses because they had such an emphasis on their literature and books, and um, then entered uh, the Protestant faith uh, in a Pentecostal church, and then attended a charismatic church, and then ended up uh, being a Baptist. That's over like about a 50-year period. In that time as a Protestant, I actually became a Baptist pastor for about nine years. I would say conservative pastor. And um, a lot of the popular one-name, you know, heavy production disco-like churches is what I was part of. You know, very high production, emphasis on the arts, emphasis on a a human development through Christ sort of aspect, and, uh, of course, the Bible. And I did love it. I did enjoy it. Uh, but then I got to another point um, in 2015. I was returning from Europe, 
And the organization I was part of was very popular internationally. And I would share some of the ways that people could start churches and nightclubs like I had and Bible studies and um, bars. I mean, we were, you know, it was almost after a while I was trying to see how, how raunchy of a place you could start a church. You know, I started a church in a toilet, you know, it was a very strange thing that we were doing. So um, I just thought, I, I just don't think I'm, I'm cut out for this anymore because it, while it was successful, um, it was like a business where Jesus was the commodity. And as long as you provided certain aspects, and, and church growth and church growth consultants is a very uh, big business. Uh, I don't think people are aware of this. It's a big business. It, it that's what it felt like a business, and I I wasn't even certain where I was with Christ anymore. I was mm. a pretty good storyteller, you know, and I I loved the drama of the Bible stories, but. I just wasn't, I, I wasn't unsure of my salvation. I was just unsure of my holiness. I guess that's a better way to say it. Mm. So that and a few other things, I, I, I resigned on my six-year anniversary date with this particular church and wandered around and decided to go to the L.A. Cathedral in Los Angeles out of a force of habit to go to church somewhere, but not a Protestant service. And as I was there, I remember thinking, you know, why is the priest looking at us or facing us? Why is he speaking English? Mm. Uh, some of these songs seem familiar. And I, I didn't realize there was this whole thing called uh, Vatican II that had trickled down and had changed a lot of, of how the Mass was celebrated because I had, I had it memorized in Latin before. So fast forward, Easter 2016, having a very uh, specific in, encounter, I believe, with the Holy Spirit, I, I recognize I'm, this is my home. I'm back. Mm. This is supposed to be my home. So if anybody's ever read Paulo Coelho's uh, The Alchemist, there's this journey where you start off and go all the way circling back to find what you were looking for is exactly where it was, where you started. And uh, so from there, I started attending Catholic Mass and exposing myself to Catholic literature and Catholic saints and um, learning how to, how to, how relearning how to pray. Um, and, and then all the multiple hundreds of different tools available to us as Catholics to develop our holiness. And I couldn't be happier. And, and this is why a lot of the artwork, well, I, all of my tattoos and artwork are Catholic. They're less than eight years old. Um, it's, uh, you know, I'm, it's not a phase. I'm all in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, as yeah. I, I thank you for sharing that. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I would, you know, you do, you, you never know how God will use people or things to help bring you home. And I, I say that as an encouragement to parents. Because the the last pennies dropped while I was at private Protestant Christian University to become a Catholic. Um, I I have a degree in philosophy and theology, and my professors, I think a couple of them are closet Catholics or at least Orthodox, 
that a lot of the textbooks were um, um, papal um, documents. And I, I never had a negative views of the Catholic Church, even as a Protestant. It just, just wasn't in my DNA. And I had a lot of, I, I began to see that how ironic it is how many Protestants attempt to use the Bible to criticize Catholic theology or Catholic practices, because the Bible is a Catholic book. And a lot of the it, just giants of philosophy were Catholic saints. And how much heavy intellectual heavy lifting Catholics have done in discussing how to live out the Christian life that everybody benefits from. Everybody dips into that pool, our Protestant friends, our Orthodox friends. And, and, um, and it's just, it, it seems like a tremendous lack of, lack of knowledge of, Catholic, of, of, of Christian history to think that somehow the Catholic Church just popped up you know, a few hundred years ago, um, when, you know, as I understand now, it is the church, the only church established by Christ, as opposed to a very charismatic or godly, well-meaning, but I believe misguided man or woman. Yep. Yep. But, I, but, uh... but you know, but, 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 uh, but other than that, I don't have an opinion. <laughs> That's <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I'm right there with you. I think uh, it's beautiful to just kind of hear your story a little bit and um, just see mm-hmm. how the Lord has brought you to where you are today and brought you back to, to the faith. So I want to, yeah. I want to dive, I want to dive a little bit more into your okay. story from from the perspective of your book. So you've you've told okay. our audience now, of course, uh, your story and praise God for that. Um, but you have a book titled, It Was a Beautiful Day When My Father Died. Um, yes. If you can, tell tell our audience sure. a little bit about, about this book that you've written. And and I will say this, sure. I wish if you guys at home could see uh, your art on your, your hands. It's beautiful. You've got some beautiful tattoos, oh. as he's describing. <laughs> uh, I'll send you photos and you can do what you want with them there. But um, So what had happened, I, I had a, a, a brilliant... Um, young woman who worked with me at the church and she had stated, and it was almost like a throwaway statement that the talks that I had given uh, regarding forgiveness, regarding my father were very helpful to her. And she thought, you know, it could help some other people. You ought to, you ought to write a book. You ought to. And, and quite frankly, if, if for people who are pastors, um, Writing, a, I don't say writing a book is easy, but you do develop a lot of content. It's not as if you have to create something out of nothing. So I started taking the basic idea, and I gave her a 30-page treatment. So, you know, what do you think? Like I said, she was a brilliant woman. She first read it and said, you know, I love your father, who I've never met, because of the way you love him. And this looks like he's a monster, and you're this amazing saint. And I thought, oh my gosh, she said, exactly. That's never how you presented. You always presented as you were the monster. You, you, you were, you're not downplaying what your father did, 
but you're also pointing out that you knew better. And in many ways, then you were worse. Mm. And uh, so I had to uh, humanize my dad to talk about his story as a child growing up. And, uh, you know, he just lost a lot of battles and we were the collateral damage. So I often state that the title of the book reflects not only how much in contempt I held him at the time, um, the uh, the actual fact that it was a beautiful day in Los Angeles when he died, but but primarily it was the turning point um, in my forties that brought this freedom that led to me speaking with you right now. My father was a triple-A dad. He was an alcoholic, he was an abuser, and he was an adulterer. And in my spiritual arrogance, you know, it's the funny thing about Christianity, that it makes, it's a double-edged sword almost every single time. It can make the most amazing godly people and the most horrible, wretched, spiritually arrogant people. And I had begun to fall into that arrogance because, you know, well, I wasn't like my dad. But in my 20s, I exactly was like my dad. But, you know, I, I was fortunate that I had uh, a couple of men who loved me enough to um, to risk losing my friendship to put the brakes on me. And it was a, a former youth pastor I had as a teenager who was part of that that Pentecostal church I told you about. He and I are still friends. You know, he's in his 70s, and I'm in my late 60s, and, you know, we're still friends. Um, but he, he was the one that, that, you know, pulled my covers and re- removed my anonymity and called me out. And I, it, it's, it's funny how, as adults, we generally are always reacting to our parents. Like, either we wish to be like them, we want to hopefully make them proud of us or we want nothing to do with them but i i find that everything that we dislike about our parents we generally will unfortunately copy if we're not careful it gets you know it got baked into us in many ways and so uh when people who read the book think ill of my dad or if they say that they have a little bit of problem still with that they've missed the whole point of the book i'm trying to write people to say yeah, there was a few things my dad did that were not good, but he was just as broken as I as I was. I am. He did not have maybe the tools or the men to help him. I did, and I was still not forgiving him. And mm-hmm. now um, I just have a different view of my of my life and my capacity as a as a, a follower of Christ as a Catholic. I, I don't have a lot of uh, trust in my ability to stay on the straight and narrow. I'm content going to Mass as often as I can. Um, I, I, I think of it as I just keep myself on a short leash. Yep, I hear you there. I yeah. Go to, yeah. <laughs> go to Mass, go to the sacraments, and... Uh, do whatever you can to exactly. just be close to the church and and hope yes, and pray that and, the graces and, uh, are still there and that you can say yes to them. You know what? And that that just that comment you made that there needs to be that the, the grace is always offered, 
but often refused. And I believe it's uh, I'm taking what something that um, Flannery O'Connor said when she was asked about her writing style that seemed to be so dark at times. And she was explaining that as a Catholic, as a Catholic author, I want to, you, you, I, you have to shout, you have to, you have to write in such contrast because the ears of the culture have gone dull. And so I'm trying to point out that grace is always offered and unfortunately often refused. And then here's the fallout of it. So, you know, I, I, um, I, I look at my life currently and I just think, what can I do to catch up, to pay it forward and to pay the rent, pay, pay the rent for having found the church and to be at home in Rome? Yep. Yep. Well, I think that's a wonderful perspective and it, it's going to, I mean, it's firstly going to do wonders for you yourself because, you know, I can see, I can hear it in your voice. You know, there's a humility of understanding everything that you've been given is is a gift and your goal is to not take it for granted and to utilize it, but also recognizing that tomorrow you could, you know, fall away from all of this if it wasn't for grace and, you know, that. And I, I recognize that in my own life. I understand that. And it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing to, to see and to be able to say, you know, I'm just as, as you said, talking about your dad, you know, you're just as broken as he is. And yet, uh, you're, you've been able to, to some degree, you know, come and into the, into the Lord's arms and, and let him provide healing in your life in a way that is certainly, I'm assuming transformative. Oh, it was, you know, I, I've often said, even when I was a pastor, that I think people really only have one or two significant um what's the word i was what's that word uh when people make an about face in their life um not redemption um if they're going one way and they turn the other way uh you know it'll come to me so i had a very powerful moment in my 20s and i think it carried me for many many years until dealing with my dad and it wasn't until my late 40s after his funeral. And I'm, I'm in one of those unique positions where I've buried both my parents. That's not unique. You know, you, usually, you, you know, kids outlive their parents. But I officiated both their funerals as well. And so many other funerals, you know, um, and, and weddings. You know, that's one, of the, that's one of the pleasures when you are a Protestant pastor. You could, you could be part of people's uh, significant moments but after his funeral um i was driving on a five northbound to lancaster i think particularly the city of acton and at, at the risk of being dramatic i i had only what i can explain is a vision because i was aware that i was driving and all of a sudden a memory came as like an old um, eight millimeter movie where the color is sort of desaturated and it's grainy. And it was me as a child and my, my dad in the chair. I knew immediately what it was, but I re also remember thinking, I haven't had, I haven't recalled this memory. I haven't thought about this moment. 
but I fortunately had learned that if something unusual happens, something uh, significant, it's, it's kind of, I think it's important to ask, is, is this something, is it just a, some kind of weird digestive issue, you know, pizza, Tommy's burgers at late at night, or is it God trying to get your attention? And so I asked, is this you speaking to me? And there was no response, except I remember looking at this scene as if it was a camera, a movie, and it panned over to where my father was sitting. So it was a living room. I was watching TV, holding my arm. My dad was in his chair, and I knew exactly what the moment was. Not long before that night, I had this cast removed off my arm, and I must have done something to disturb my dad's peace of mind, whatever it was, you know. And he took off his big, heavy, black wingtip shoe and threw it at me. And it struck my arm, the one that I just had the cast removed. And it hurt. But what I think what hurt the most is how little it seemed that he cared about who I was, you know, as well. And as I, as the camera panned over to my dad, he was in his 30s and young and handsome and strong and, uh, I, it, 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 it seemed like in that split nanosecond, hundreds and thousands of conversations that God attempted to have with me and all these sermons I had preached on forgiveness and all the counseling I had done to people about forgiveness and, um, and, and then thinking about my own, um, the way that I had mistreated my children when they were little, everything coalesced in a split second. It became very crystal clear that my dad was struggling with all the crap that I had, and he had nowhere to go with it. Nowhere. He didn't want to be that guy. He didn't want to be the man that, that would hurt his kids. I, my dad was extremely loving to us. In his best moments, he was amazing. I think I, I've i learned about loving and caring peop- for people from my dad, as awful as some of his worst moments were. and. I remember still driving, still watching this moment, and I just broke out and said, I I am, please forgive me to my dad. And um, I was apologizing and asking forgiveness from both my dad, my earthly dad and my heavenly father. And it was as if I had <laughs> spiritually vomited up all this um, refusal to forgive. I mean, it was, it was physical. It was convulsing weeping. It's like all this pent-up resistance had just finally broke. So I, I, I was not seeking. I was not looking. I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. I was pretty proud of myself, you know. I was going to work, providing for my family. I was, you know, uh, going to church, whatever. And uh, I... I once again, even though it may seem a little dramatic, it was my Damascus Road moment where grace, I wasn't seeking it. Grace interrupted my history, stopped me in my tracks. And so I could say, like Paul, you know, the least of the saints, the greatest of sinners. So I, I have no problem thinking that I have a debt to pay for all the years that I was, um, so stubborn and obstinate that I didn't allow Christ to flow through my life more freely. And and then who knows how many of the people I hurt along the way.
you know, by not being the person I could have been. And it, it is, uh, that's, that's where the title of the book actually comes from. It was a beautiful day when my father died because it was after his death that I, um, that grace came. It, it's like I had to be conditioned for all those years. That's how stubborn, that's how hard my heart was. Um, and, you know, again, keep in mind, I'm surrounded by all the trappings of Christian faith, the Bible studies, the teachings. The, I'm, I'm writing sermons week after week, sometimes speaking over 140 times a year. And yet, it just it just tells you, for those people who are thinking, they're, oh, I don't have a problem with forgiveness. Well, you can know so much and still miss it. And it causes me great, um, not concern and fear, like I'm, tr- I, I, I'm, like I, I'm, I'm stuck and frozen. But at least it causes me great um, caution not to take for granted uh, my Catholic faith. Like, oh well, well, I went to mass this month. I, I you know, I, 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 I celebrated the Lord's Supper. I took Eucharist this month. Man, you know, I, I, I more fully understand Paul's admonition uh, to work out to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a sacred, holy thing that we're doing, and we don't get a do-over. We just get one shot, and then, as you know, the last four things: right, death, judgment, heaven, or hell. Yeah. Well, it seems like you had your. Uh... You avoided being Jonah, though. You know, you you were able to get past <laughs> past yourself, and um, you know, yeah. one of the things that Maybe struck so. me, though, uh, as you're talking, and I think this is probably important to to the listener as well. You know, you've spoken about your you you came to terms with being able to forgive your dad, and you know that in itself is just grace at work. But how? What was right. the experience of forgiving yourself? And and what did that look oh. like? Because I have no doubt that yeah. that might have been an even harder uh, experience to some degree. Well, so with, with, with all due respect, I, I, I've always had a bit of a challenge with that phraseology, forgiving yourself, because I just don't see it anywhere in the scripture. Um, I, I, I think if, if you say, did, how did you learn to accept this is how I would phrase it. How did I learn to accept the grace that God had given? It, okay, that's um, that's much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, because you know what's funny is that when you realize how awful you are, you you begin to. Well, what's I put it this way? Darkness, sin, sin, Satan, demonic forces—they will always downplay any kind of violation of the scriptures, you know, that sin, oh, this is not really a big deal, you know. And, but then after you do it, after you do the thing that you were tempted to do, because it's really not that big of a deal, then it's the, the most horrible thing you could have done. And it's magnified. So it's always downplayed before and then magnified after. But mm-hmm. in the magnification, there's also the arrogance to say that I am such a sinner that the incredible shedding of Christ's blood probably isn't going to be enough this time. 
I'm the one that 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 uh, you know that breaks the idea of the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, mm-hmm. and that's it, it. It is it borders on arrogance. It borders on pride. I think so. Um, I encourage people who are followers of Christ to just maybe rephrase it that it is. If there's a if you have a problem, quote, forgiving yourself, and then this is where my philosophy starts to kick in. So think about what you're saying. As Paul says in Romans, if Christ be for us, who can be against us? If God's forgiven you, well, who's left? And if you say, Yeah, but I just having trouble forgive myself. So either you're saying you're on equal footing with God as a moral lawgiver or greater. And then there's the illogic of saying, if you mean by, I mean, how does forgiving yourself work? So you are the moral lawgiver, you're the judge, but you're also the defendant, and and somehow you're the, uh, and and where are you then in all of this? If you're these three individuals, who are you in all this? You know, so there's that concept about forgiving yourself. to me fails logically and it fails theologically. And I think this, if someone is having trouble accepting or believing that they are forgiven, they have magnified their actions and minimized the tremendous, uh, generous mercy of God. And they just need to re-expose themselves to Christ. It could be through the scriptures. It could be through our sacraments. It could be at mass. Uh, you know, I had one time where, not earlier this year, I was uh, I was in confession, and I was recalling a business deal that I had on a on another project, and it went sideways where I got majorly ripped off. And so I'm telling the priest, who has no idea that I wrote this book on forgiveness, right? And by the way, the other guy was his pastor as well. So just so many things make, made it awful to me in my head. Forgetting the fact that, of course, you know, I'm capable of something much worse, but nonetheless, let's just focus on him, not me. <laughs> and uh, and so he listened patiently to all of it, you know, and uh, he said, okay, uh, da, 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 you know, for your penance, go outside of this booth, kneel at the altar railing, look up at the crucifix, and tell Christ you can't forgive him. Holy man. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it put it in proper perspective. And I've even talked about that in my book, you know, that if you're a follower of Christ, Protestant or Catholic or whatever flavor, when you revel in and are grateful for forgiveness, but refuse to forgive somebody else, whatever it might be, and it could be something really awful. I'm not downplaying very terrible things happen to people, a sexual assault, a, um, a theft, um, someone murders a member of your family. I mean, I'm talking horrible stuff. That if you're saying, I can't, and, and it could be a process and a journey, that you're feasting at the table of forgiveness and refusing to give the other person a crumb. And, you know, I would say to that person, sir, madam, you are sinning yet again. 
with that with that refusal to do so. Mm. Yeah. Well, I like everything that you just said, and I do think you're right that that phraseology, you know, to forgive yourself is not the right way to to look at it. So I appreciate appreciate that. And you know, you've talked you've talked a great deal now about your your Catholic faith, and you know, I think to most uh-huh. of the listeners here, that is, of course, uh, the audience we're talking about. So, uh, is there anything more that you want to say about just how important that's been in in finding healing, and um, and of course, this this concept of discovering freedom through forgiveness? I mean, would you in your head would you even be able to? Be where you are today without the the graces that have come from your your faith. No, no, not at all. Now I I do recognize that there is a there are therapeutic approaches to forgiveness, and and I, that's clearly a um, a horizontal level of forgiveness to dealing with individuals, men and women. The forgiveness of the scripture is, is it is absolutely completely ridiculous the father gregory boyle wrote a book entitled forgive everybody everything and that is the standard forgiving everybody everything um that ability to forgive people of some of the uh, just awful actions that we do to each other and even the uh, for others, small minor things that just add up and add up, and you know, it, it is it is a supernatural thing. It, it cannot be done without faith. Excuse me. It cannot be done without the assistance of the Holy Ghost to give you the grace to forgive even that. And by the way, it's not to make you a nice person. It's to set you free. When when Christ commands us to forgive, it's not because, well, you know, hey, it's it's a better look for our organization. <laughs> you know? It's it's a it's a benefit. It's it's a gift to be commanded to forgive, so that we don't harbor that bitterness that distorts you, arms you, poisons you. Um, I've tried. I, I often think of spiritual lessons in terms of the physical body and i i i've said it's it's like spiritual constipation mm-hmm. you just cannot take in any more spiritual nourishment when you're spiritually constipated because you've refused to forgive now you can function sort of you know and occasionally forgiving people is so powerful that it it hurts it's painful like a medical procedure without anesthesia, but then you're still better. Or, or vomiting in the in the toilet. You know, it's not pretty. It's u- ugly, but all that junk is out of you now, and now you can start to get better. And when folks come with, well, don't you think that time heals all wounds? No, 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 not for cancer. Uh, you know, not for uh, uh, many many conditions. Time makes you sicker because you're not well and then you're comp- and then you're not and you continue to move forward and try to function as a human being 
And everybody is going to catch some blows for something in our relationships. I mean, if there's one thing that people know or should know, if they're adults, is that relationships, like everything else, break down. They will, every relationship will break down in small and big ways. That's not the question. The question is now what do you do? And the, the, the most powerful tool that we've been given is to learn how to forgive. Now, I don't want to be Pollyannish about this either. It is serious hard work in many cases. And, and I, in, in the book, I talk about the three types of forgiveness. There's three types of apologies. Um, and um, let me give a cheap, shameless plug for my TEDx talk that's available on YouTube for free and worth every penny. There are three reasons why people don't forgive. Now, I, I did three threes because it's easy to remember. There are multiple nuances. But generally speaking, it is, uh, as Gandhi once said, it's not for cowards. And um, But if if you wish to get well, then you must forgive. And this reminds me of a story in John chapter 6, the book of John, my favorite books in the Bible. Um, Jesus comes to the temple. Off the temple, there was this pool. And as the story goes, John points out that um, there was many sick people there. And the legend was that if you touch the water, whoever, whenever an angel apparently ruffled the water, the first person to touch it was healed. Now, he's not saying that there was an actual angel that came down and did that, but that was the story. So apparently there was somebody there, almost 40 years old, crippled, um, paralyzed. And, you know, you can only imagine this guy sitting in his own filth. Um, the smells, the lack of nutrition, the lack of proper rest. Um, and then the existential damage of of the culture at the time was that anybody, of course, who was not well or suffering physically must be punished by gods, you know. So they're not part of the spiritual community. They're, they're not able to get around. And the first question, which almost sounds sarcastic, the first thing Jesus says to this guy is, oh, do you want to get well? Well, like, you could think that was an obvious, yes, of course he does. Why did you even <laughs> ask him? <laughs> no, I'm good right here. And I believe because that's the cooperation with grace. And even though that was a yes or no question, the guy gives the reasons why he couldn't get well. Oh, I can't, you know, because of my lack of ability to move, I can't get to the water and everybody beats me out, you know, which is still amazing. The guy was there after all those years, you know, hope he still hoped one day he could make it. I said all that to say that for many people, when the Lord, through the Holy Ghost, speaks to them about a relationship or about why they maybe should consider forgiving or they hear the pastor, the priest gives an amazing homily about forgiveness or, you know, perhaps in their spiritual readings, they'll say something like, well, you know, they're dead now, I can't, or it's part of my Latino culture, we're all hot-headed, we don't do that, or whatever it might be. I'll give an excuse why I don't. And God, through the Holy Ghost, is still posing the question, do you want to get well? When people 
come to Mass, they they go to their spiritual discipline time, it's maybe the rosary, it's spiritual readings, whatever they're doing. Often, I think what may, may cause the stunting of their progress spiritually is that they're that they're maybe harboring something like a lack of forgiveness. And when the Lord is coming to them, do you want to get well? That people give all these excuses instead of saying either yes or no, mm. uh, whatever it might be. And I know the, you know, the, the, the incident was so terrible or, um, uh, you know, it will, if, if they apologize, I will forgive them or whatever it might be, you know, and I don't wish to minimize the pain that people have been through. I mean, I've have I do I have my own scars. I mean, literally, scars on my body from stuff that my parents did. But I, 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 I would suggest gently to my brother or sister is that if if you think forgiveness is hard, how, how's it? How's this working for you? How's the lack of forgiveness actually been helpful? And the other thing is, is that. Not only are you disobedient to the Lord, which ought to be enough, but you're also probably bleeding out over other relationships and individuals that had nothing to do with that incident because you're not well. So for the sake of your family, for the sake of friends, for the sake of your kids, for the sake of the church, you know, it might be scary and uncomfortable, but you must forgive. And it, it, it is, at times, unpleasant. I, I don't put any of the way. Yeah. I, and, you know, as you're just talking, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm sure many of the people at home, either you see, you've seen this in your own life or this in the lives of people you know. You know, I can think of people I know well who... Their lives mm-hmm. are still, you know, so affected by something that happened so long ago. And yes, like you said, I, it's not to mitigate the the sad realities of what has happened. And but at the same time, um, you know, their inability to 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 turn to the Lord and, and be able to answer that question with a resounding yes or. Or, or maybe not even a resounding yes, but just a yeah. Lord, I, I, I wish for that, you know, or I desire that, even if uh, only a small part of me thinks it's possible. Uh, but of course, well, the Lord does so much with just that small yes, desire. It, it, that's exact. That's exactly right. So I'm thinking of two different people right now. There was the guy that had the demon possessed son. When the Lord says, "Well, do you believe I can do this?" He says, "Yeah, I believe, but help my unbelief." I mean, maybe theoretically, yeah, I can, I can get there. But the, would, you, would you actually do it for me in this moment? There, that's where I don't believe in. And so, I would I would say to my to those people that are maybe hearing this and are being pricked in their hearts and souls, that's not me. That's that's the Holy Ghost. That you could say, I want this to be true. Help me to believe. And then another incident, and again, the the book of John, where Peter, you know, the Lord's talking about the idea of drink my blood, eat my eat my flesh, um, and people were struggling with that, and many folks left, and it's almost as if the Lord steps aside for the apostles to say, "You want to go too?" I mean, you know, be my yeah. guest. 
I'm not going to. And then Peter says the thing that's like about this amazing resounding, oh, we're in, we're all in. It's like, well, where else are we going to go? <laughs> and so that reminds me of times when people say to me, and they find out that I'm a believer, do you really believe this stuff? And I always say, I always want to tell them, and I have once or twice. So like, Who else did you have in mind? You know, if, if you think it's hard to, to believe in Jesus when there's sufficient historical, um, sociological, so many different ways to approach it. What's your other option, you know, that you think is more reliable or has a better track record? So, at any rate. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, St. Peter's my favorite saint. And mm-hmm. just that moment, you know, John 6, it's just like that resignation to the Lord. It really is. It's just like, I don't, I know I don't have it figured out, but I have to believe that there's something here. And, you know, who knows where Peter's heart was in that moment, but there was enough of him to, to lean in on what he had experienced to say that there's something here. And I have to, I have to stick with that even in the hard times, even in this moment where the Lord is saying something that is so, you know, just mind boggling and confusing and, and to the point that's making people leave. Um, but but so true, so too is that for you and me. I mean, we're going to have those experiences in our lives where things are so challenging, so difficult, yep. and we have to be like Peter. We have to be resigned and say, "Lord, where would I go? You have the words yeah. of eternal life. Eternal life, right? What's what's the option here? And uh, I I I I want to suggest something to to my again my family here, and that is. If, if there are times when the teachings of our church, with scripture, the magisterium, the priest or in homilies, if you're not floored once in a while, if you're not like stunned at the demands of being a, uh, a Catholic, then you're not listening. Because it's, it is, it, it, you know, I, I love how, John, how Jordan Peterson stated in one time, and he was in tears, I think this is a couple years ago, you know, why he's not a a believer or a Christian. He says, because it's too much. It would involve me giving up everything. And not like a lot. It was, I think he said, the giving up and giving to. And, um, you know, even when I think about it now, I I think, yeah, you know, what what, my thought life or the way I spend my money or Whatever it might be, you know, if, if I could really thought about doing these actions and making these decisions under the loving gaze of Christ, would I do them? And if he said, even if it seemed, I don't know. I mean, I, I this is going to sound silly. It, it, it's, it's about a car. Uh, I had a very cool exotic car, and it was really nice. Well, yeah. if, if you're going to say that, you got to say what kind of car it is. You can't just leave us out there in the dark. Let us let us imagine what we're imagine it fully. Okay, it's not a, it's not crazy. Like if that wasn't a Lambo or something, it wasn't. It was a really nice Audi sedan. Okay, you know, luxury sedan, black on black, just beautiful. Had the windows tinted out. It was really cool. I mean, I used to get compliments in this car where I, wherever I went. So there's a I guess a certain amount of pride that I had in this car. And uh, it was paid off 
going to be paid off next month. And it take a, it took a major dump. I had spent close to four or five grand in repairs, and it wasn't even close to getting fixed. Okay, all that to say, when I came down to shop for another car, I had so many people tell me, oh my gosh, don't get an Audi. You know, they're great, but they're so expensive, and they, the cost to maintain them, and blah, 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 blah. Get a Honda. You know, get a Honda Accord, reliable, you know. I could not, could not get myself to buy a Honda. And I wanted to be humble enough to say, I'll drive a Honda. It's cool. I'm good. I couldn't. And I ended up buying another Audi. And I got a, a Q5 this time. And I remember thinking, well, it's not a Q7. And it isn't a Q3. It's like right in between. You know, it's it's humble enough. But still an Audi, and it's still black on black, tinted windows. Uh, I had it murdered out, so it's all blacked out. Um, and I think, what is it with me that I want to drive some sort of fancy European vehicle, or I don't feel like I'm a legitimate human being? <laughs> and my my son was pointing out all these cars with you know these the Mercedes you've had, the the the, the customized Grand Wagoneer. This what? Why can't you just buy a regular car? I don't know. Don't know. Silly, but I, 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 I think I'm meticulous even in my grooming and wearing suits because I just don't want to be ordinary. Now, part of that, my dad was was. Um, did you ever see Mad Men? You remember the main character? I think Don Draper was his name. I, I actually have not. My wife and I were talking about watching that, and we started another show. So I have not seen it. Uh, I I never. I think I watched a few episodes. It, it just didn't hold my attention. But what I will say is that my dad, Don Draper, reminds me of my dad. That's how he dressed. You know, the classic sideline part, the the pomade, clean shaven. <clears throat> uh, you know kind of a slim fitting suit, skinny black tie or dark tie, you know, presidential fold. And I mean, I mimic that just always dressed. It would be, I would feel uncomfortable not wearing, not being dressed. And I, yeah. I think is, it, is, is I, I mean, I'm that concerned over my appearance and I hear myself saying, yeah, apparently I am. So I just, <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> That's why my business is actually called Do Good Dress Well LLC. You know, I still can't get away from it. <laughs> and nothing wrong with that. You know, as long as it doesn't lead to vanity, you're good to go. Yeah, there you go. That's true. All right, good to know. Thanks. Oh yeah. And uh I mean I'm sure we could talk on a whole podcast on just appearance and the the need to, you know, hold ourselves in a certain way, both in how you take care of yourself physically, but also how you, you dress and uh, there's there's something to be yeah. said about it. I, I, I suggested when I was at uh, university that, that there's a whole theology you could develop on fashion. And, you know, what the priest would wear, what a prophet wore, what Adam and Eve did. Um, you know, the, the, the prayer, I mean, there, there is a theology to fashion and, uh, and what it means what people wear and who they are. Um, mm -hmm. I, I know that there was a comment made, I think a very popular podcaster, a guy named Joe, Joe Rogan. Um, 
not a believer, but that that's okay. But he just made this comment like it's so strange to me that Catholic priests dress like wizards and no one ever thinks twice about it. It's like that's an interesting perspective for somebody outside, you know, like looking at that. I go, yeah, it must, it is weird, and that's, but that's part of that's part of the mystery and beauty of our church. It we are, it's not of this world, you know. We are still uh, that long line and chain of of garments and who these men are uh, from the Old Testament coming forward. They're not. Well, and they're not and like also, us. and also not to Go be, uh, not to be weird, but they're as close to wizards as there are. I mean, if we think about what they're able to, to do as persona Christi, yes. I mean, it's like, he, he doesn't know how true those words really are. You know, you know what? He, that's, a, that's a very good take on that. You're right. Like right. It is the the magic that the priest is able to accomplish with grace and with God is is unreal, and I mean, you know, that's why every man should <laughs> at least consider that vocation. I mean, it, there's nothing more beautiful than the gift of being a priest. Well, last Sunday, I I, I uh, tried to force myself not to do the same thing all the time, so I sat in a different place, and I go to Latin masses and. Uh, so I sat way in the front, off to the extreme left of the sanctuary, and I got caught up in watching as they were incensing the altar before um, it's being raised up to change, right? And uh, just it, the sunlight came in through the stained glass, and it was illuminating the incense, and it it I. I don't say the word magic in a very light way. I know you didn't mean it disrespectfully either, but it, it was like mystery, magic, something wonderful, something holy. And uh, and I almost thought, should I even be looking at this point at what's happening? I, I completely got off following in my missile. And I was, all I could think about is that, man, I, I, I really miss being an altar server. And I thought, I'm just, now I'm just too dang old, but boy, I, I, I wouldn't mind slapping on the cassock and a, and a white smock and being up there swinging, swinging the incense burner. <laughs> yeah, well, if you were in Charlotte, North Carolina, the couple of churches that offer the Latin Mass, I'm sure would have t- would take you. So, <laughs> oh, maybe maybe I should ask the, the local parish. Hey, am I too old? <laughs> I, I, I think they'd probably see your desire and say, "Why not?" You know, you can't, mm. can't, uh, can't oppose that. Um, of course, maybe I'm wrong, but it's a, it's a, it is a beautiful thing. So, I, I know that I've taken a lot of your time now. We've talked for about an hour here, so I don't want to take too much more of your time. But I do want to give you a chance for, you know, just final thoughts on this topic. Final thoughts on, you know, as we're talking about freedom through forgiveness mm-hmm. and just sharing your story. Um, anything that you kind of want to make sure that the the listener at home is, is able to take, take with them. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I will say this real quickly um, that, that if, if you thought you tried forgiveness and it didn't work and it was weird, it, yes, it, it, there, I think it is an art, um, but there's not one size fits all. Um, some types of forgivenesses are more difficult than others, but there are three types. And you can find that in my book, or you can, um, <clears throat> yeah, actually, at this point, it just says in my book right now, I, I used to have a, a, online materials. 
apologizing is also uh, kind of an art and learning to do that graciously and with uh, and, and understanding what you want to happen in the relationship and therefore adjusting your apology to that. There's three types of apologies. And then finally, there are basically just three reasons why people don't forgive, Christian or not. And I would direct the listeners to the TEDx talk. You can find it on YouTube. Just search my name and yeah, I'll put it. I'll put it in the show up. notes. Okay, all right, great. And then, if they want to get a copy of the book, they can do so by going to Amazon, and uh, it's available in um, Kindle, paperback, and Audible version. And I'm the narrator of the book, so you get it done by the author. And uh, Three Uncles Publishing is this tremendous little publishing house that is done. They were. Um, they, they they were the ones that, that believed in the project and invested their money, their blood and sweat to get this book out there. And they have other volumes that are also very important. But, uh, yeah, support Three Uncles Publishing. You can buy it through Amazon or you can buy it directly from their website. That's threeunclespublishing.com. Okay. I'll certainly put the link in the in the show notes as well. So for both your TED Talk and then also for the uh, the book so that people can grab okay. it. All right, I ask every guest on the podcast these two <laughs> questions. So I got two final questions for you. Firstly, sure. who who is on your Mount Rushmore of Saints? Yeah. And you can oh, have more than question. four. I know the Mount Rushmore's only got four heads, but we're Catholic, you know. We can yeah, expand. Yeah. We have quite a few to pick from. Yeah. Uh Maximilian Colby, <laughs> you know, I want to be that guy. I don't know if I would have. I, I think I would have done the thing like, oh, I'll pray for that man's soul. But uh, you know, I, I don't want to go home. I want to go home eventually, but not today. Um, there's the uh, the priest that was uh, the Mexican priest that was murdered um, as a Cristanero. can't think of his name, but there's that famous photo of him extending his arm. That's uh, Miguel Pro. That's it. I, I mean, I, 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 um, that the, the Cristero story so moved me that uh, maybe people may not know this. Maybe you didn't know this. I'm an elected public official in, in my city, and whenever I give speeches, which we often give, I'll give one this Saturday on Veterans Day. I always end my speech with, you know, God bless this great city, God bless America, and Viva Cristo Rey. And I, I try to put my faith out there and not pretend that I'm not a Catholic. I put it out there. And that is an amazing story. And then um, probably St. Michael, uh, the Archangel. Uh, There's something very masculine and heroic and beautiful uh, about his purity and his devotion and faithfulness to God. Uh, So those three stand out for me. That I I would slap them on my Mount Rushmore, with 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 all due respect to Gabriel and Raphael, just, uh, Michael seems to be this uh, seems to be the guy for me. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. All right, I got one last question for you. God willing, one sure. day you're going to be a saint yourself. What are you going to be the mm-hmm. patron saint of? Um, the uh, people who were broken and lost hope, you know. Um, yeah, I don't say that lightly that, 
I just remember some really freaking nitty dark uh, nights that I just, uh, I was really unsure. Not of God's existence, but how could he possibly find it and be merciful and this isn't funny to me. And uh, uh, I, I, if I told the story to encourage people to forgive, to let them know how crappy things were, and I was the God in his kindness helped me forgive and, and move on, and, and things have gone really well for me. I'm very grateful for my life. But it was because of him. And it's not a story about, wow, what an amazing saint Octavio is, you know. Uh, no, it's how amazing God is that he could take my pretty crappy life and, and put something back together. And, yeah, I guess the patron saint of the brokenhearted and the hopeless. Mm, it's beautiful. Well, I thank you so much, Octavio, for sitting down and talking to me for this last hour. And I, I thank all of you at home who are listening I hope that you gain something from our conversation and, and hopefully if, if you're in that position where you need to forgive someone, I hope that this conversation is leading you towards that. Know that the Lord Jesus is ready to work with you, to give you the graces to move forward. Uh, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Give us five stars. Uh, it helps other people to find this podcast. And of course, we thank our sponsors, Good Catholic and the Catholic Company. Uh, But thank you so much, Octavio, again, and God bless you all at home. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe and check out goodcatholic.com for more details.